Hello, Marvelites. Welcome to a cavity-free 350th episode of This Week at Marvel. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I am Jamie Frevely, a.k.a. Agent One Cavity Only. Aw, one oh, cavity. Just, just the one. Yep. Superficial. Oh. Superficial. But this is our epic, big, supersized, giant-sized, spectacular 350th episode. Some fun stuff up ahead. We're going to have uh, Mr. Tom Brevoort on the show a little bit later to talk about the 10 comics that have hit 350 issues. I did my research. I think we've got them all covered. Hopefully, we'll see. But top of the show, I do want to make sure we make mention of the passing of the late, great Steve Ditko. Absolutely. We will talk with Tom a little bit more about Steve, his work, just his legacy with Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Squirrel Girl, Speedball, so much more. The entire comics community really i mean i saw it all over the news and um, totally yeah even if you're not super familiar with marvel comics you probably are familiar with steve ditko's work and 100%. his characters he's had such a huge impact on pop culture in general and it's um it's the end of an era yeah with his passing unfortunately we started the show with that but there are so many other things going on here at marvel some big fun, exciting stuff is that San Diego Comic-Con is mere days away, and we have one of our most fun things we get to do here at Marvel, is show up all the cool merch that you can get at the Marvel booth at Comic-Con, and there's so much of it this year. Jamie, where do we start? There's so many cool things here. Well, we got these pins strewn mm. about. Yep. They're very cute. So these are from the Marvel by and Marvel X Scotty Young Ooh. line. These are all his drawings turned to these wonderful enamel pins. And these ones are so cool. Of course, because my favorite character, <laughs> Modoc, gets a pin. But people were losing their minds because of the Doctor Doom, the Venom, Magneto. These are wonderful. I love the Venom one. Right? He's just hilarious he's got himself a little <laughs> spidey pop who do you have over there looks like you have some x-men these are some x-men mm -hmm. we've got two of my favorite people in the world we got wolverine the little tiny version of my favorite knucklehead and storm with her fabulous weather related mohawk in addition to the pins there's tons of other stuff we've got uh, t-shirts hats you freaked out I'm dying. about that shirt. Okay, so I'm I'm dying over this, and I'm absolutely, positively getting myself one at Comic-Con. This is Sweet Rabbit with um, Rocket. Can I see how soft it is? You feel how soft it is? It's soft like a sweet rabbit. That's the good stuff. <laughs> this right was there. one of my favorite parts of Marvel Studios' Avengers Infinity War. One of the running jokes that constantly made me laugh, because I like dumb Thor <laughs> and um, like sweet darling dumb Thor and um, I like fuzzy animals sure. so uh, referring to my favorite trash panda as sweet rabbit it's adorable it hits every time it does uh, we also got two exclusive comic books here that you can get at the Marvel booth first one is this very rare variant of Life of Captain Marvel that's very cool yeah the cover is by Yasmin Putri there's a great cover with Kamala and Carol just being the best our last one is this Cosmic Ghost Rider number one variant. And uh, this one's by J. Scott Campbell. Super cool. Love this. You guys can get all this at the Marvel booth at Comic-Con. I know I'm going to be spending a bunch of money there. I'm going to really try not to, but that sweet rabbit shirt's going to be mine. So, of course, all the cool Comic-Con stuff is great. But the other big piece of news that we saw this week is that Marvel Studios' Avengers Infinity War arrives digitally on July 31st, and the Blu-ray releases August 14th. There's gag reel and deleted scenes, of course, but like 
I can't wait to see that stuff. Like the deleted <laughs> scenes, I, I'm sure are going to be great. But the gag reel, like I, I'm going to lose it for that. They should have uh, put the gag reel at the end of the movie, honestly. <laughs> I just don't so think, I don't <laughs> think that's totally right you think it would have blunted the impact just a little bit no Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh of course there's commentary and so much more the fullest of the bonus material is on marvel.com uh time for all the other stuff that we're hyped about this week which of course normally would include us talking about the comics our picks for the week but it's a supersized special episode this week so we've got a little more for you uh but of course jamie you picked Domino. I have to. Every Domino is always going to be my favorite. I love Domino. I love Gail Simone and, and David Baldeon. And it's still every issue just it checks all my boxes. And it's very rare that I find a book where I feel like I kind of look up to the character or relate to the character. I don't get that very often. I really like reading about people who aren't like me because, you know, my life is enough. But <laughs> Domino, I just feel like she could be like my bro, my sister, I don't know. But I love like seeing her uncovering her own powers and she's gone to f- learn to fight with the sexy dude and Oh yeah, Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi. and Domino. There's sparks there. I love there that. There are sparks and she's like kind of working on her her luck power to make things kind of work out. But yeah, another really awesome fun story-propelling issue of Domino. Heck yeah. Of course, if you haven't listened to Marvel's The Pullist, our picks are Amazing Spider-Man number one. Tucker picked Star Wars Darth Vader number 18. And I also picked X-23 number one. Uh, Special mention goes to the latest issue of Exiles because it is so friggin' awesome and wonderful and special. Yes. And and what we're trying to do is transition a little bit. We're going to keep the focus of our favorite books in Marvel's The Pullist, which is getting own rss feed coming out next week so you're going to be able to subscribe to that show get it separately because we're going to stop putting those episodes on the this week in marvel show that's it for us talking about the new books this week but there's so much more because for our big 350th episode spectacular we of course had to bring in tom brevort Executive editor, supreme mighty lord of comicdom. Is that good? Is that fair? That's that. That's a, that's a that's a fair summary. It's a fair uh, yeah, encapsulation. Fair. And and I wanted to talk about ten of the series that we believe have hit 350 issues. We two of us have been racking our brains. I think we got them all. Uh, we'll get to those in a minute. But first, I did want to while I have you here. Sure. Of course. Legendary comic book creator Steve Ditko passed away recently, and I wanted to know if you had, you know, what thoughts you have about some of the characters you created. Of course, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Squirrel Girl, Speedball, the legacy that those characters have. Well, I think, uh, you know, just in Spider-Man alone, you've got a character that and a design that is known and recognized around the world, that people who've never read a Spider-Man comic or seen a Spider-Man movie or anything will recognize Spider-Man as a toy or as a, as a, a decal or, or whatnot. Like, it is a universal symbol. And very, very few creations reach that sort of level of global uh, prominence. So to have done one of those, you're at a a particular pinnacle 
you know, Steve did uh, a tremendously evocative work. I personally always loved his little five-page sort of Twilight Zone-esque stories that were the back story in most all of the Marvel monster comics of the era before there were superheroes. His splash pages in particular are really lovely. And he was a true believer in his beliefs. Like, he's a guy that kind of walked the walk. You know, he walked away from Spider-Man and Doctor Strange and all the his Marvel creations in 66 for reasons that he never entirely made public. But at no point did he bend from his position. And he was like that all the way up to the, the end of his life. So, again, you may you may like that or hate that. And certainly, you know, if you wanted to know more about those days and really talk to him and get into that, he clearly had no interest in any of that. But he absolutely walked that walk uh, all the way to the end of his days. And there are few people in the world for who you could say that. That's pretty incredible. And he, of course, came back for a period in the 90s. Yeah, 80s and 90s. 80s and 90s, did some work. Um, And, you know, you think of Squirrel Girl, uh, you know, Spider-Man, of course, is it's Spider-Man. But now Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl is a huge. Everywhere, you know, for us in comics, novels. You know, we see her in cartoons and all this stuff. Yep. And we have him, you know, as, as part of that. As for well. sure. For sure. So it's it's incredible. Such a legacy and an imprint upon comics, art, pop culture, what we do every day. He really is one of the, when you, when you boil it down, one of the three most formative Marvel creators. It's, it's him, Stan, and Jack. And there are others who are, are important. But, you know, when you start to pare it down to who are the essentials, if you're building that pyramid, who are the who are the guys and you get down to three, it's those three. So many and so so many of these are, you know, here because of Steve Ditko's input on the characters. First up, I want to talk about Amazing Spider-Man number 350, which when I, I posted a bunch of panels of this on Twitter, mm-hmm. and this was the one that got the most reactions. Right. Someone was like, oh, that's from Amazing Spider-Man 350. And <laughs> I pulled a panel that was just Spidey's web hand just and said, you know, Thwip. Yeah. That yeah. was it. But you know that Eric Larson art so right, well right. and that structure. What do you remember about this issue? All these 350s are most of these 350s are going to be very weird for me mm. because most, if not all of them, came out while I was working here. And that's a different experience. Like you talk about stuff before 89 and I can relate to it to it as a, as a fan. I read that as a thing, whereas something like Amazing 350, I read while I was in the the equivalent of here in 1991 or 92, whichever year it was that it came out. I remember that it was oversized. I remember that it was the Spider-Man Doctor Doom story with the Black Fox. I remembered uh, Eric Larson drew it. David Galliani wrote it. I don't know who inked it. I would guess Al Gordon. And it was, uh, you know, sort of at the height of that post-McFarlane, uh, although Todd was doing the adjectiveless Spider-Man book at that time, you know, post-McFarlane, pre-Bagley, Eric Larson era that had a lot of energy and a lot of excitement to it. Eric tapped into a bit of the Ditko in his Spider-Man. One of the things that he would do that really kind of harkened back to Ditko was the areas that we tend to think of as blue on Spider-Man's costume really were intended originally to be black. You look at the very earliest appearances, they're very filled in, and there's only little highlights. And even in the original comics, they were colored much more as a deep purple. 
than a blue. And so Eric, more often than not, would fill those areas in a solid black. His Spider-Man, for much of it, was not a red and blue figure. He was a red and black figure. Huh. Interesting, considering yeah. the debate we were all just having, is Spider-Man red or blue? Like, well, he's red and he, red, red, red and black, black. <laughs> and, a little, and a little white. This is a whole new option and a whole new hashtag. I, I love this issue. I was rereading it. And just one of the things that I loved is how Eric draws. You, you have this battle between Doctor Doom and Spider-Man in the beginning. And that's like the first 15 pages or so, whatever it is. And Spider-Man's costume is slowly deteriorating over the course <laughs> of that fight. It seems so simple. Right. But it's such a smart storytelling device to show you by the end, like one of his lenses is broken. Right. He's just completely He's beat taken down. up. Yeah. That one was so good. And then <laughs> concussed Spider-Man, like going through some deep emotions. Oh, in that story. yeah. I, I actually I wrote that down because I always love when Uncle Ben comes back and reminds Spider-Man why he became Spider-Man. Right. And he has a tendency to do that on anniversary <laughs> issues. Yeah, he's, he's just good timing, that Uncle Ben. But I wrote down <laughs> Concussion Ghost as a note because it was obviously not a supernatural storyline, but right. it was Peter Parker having a real Peter Parker old school classic Spider-Man moment. It's like, where's that really coming from? Oh, Concussion Ghost. He's a Concussion Ghost. <laughs> yeah. Bunch of great pinups at the back by Eric Larson to just fun poppy 90s Spider-Man, yeah. uh, which is good. And I was thinking about it with Amazing Spider-Man number one having just come out. There's a lot of Eric Larson influence in what Ryan Otley is doing. Yeah, I think in, you're right. In Spider-Man. I think you're very much uh, on the money there. Which I, I love. I think it's good. You've got Ryan Stegman going, you know, a lot of McFarlane influence. And right. you've got Otley with a lot of Larson influence. It's a great time for Spider-Man. Uh, next one I wanted to talk about was Avengers number 350. A 64-page spectacular. That's one of the best things about all these. They're all like <laughs> giant size, spectacular, mega size, whatever it is. They're just like bouncing around with these great big things. This one is by Bob Harris and Steve Epting. Yep. Avengers versus the Star, Star Jammers. Jammers. Yeah, which is it's a different thing. You know, you think maybe the Masters of Evil or right. traditional Avengers villains. But Star well, that, was, that was right after Operation Galactic Storm. So, which was, you know, subtitled the Kree-Shiar War. So the, the Avengers had just gotten involved in a whole big story that dealt with sort of the X-Men side of space, their side of the tracks out in the cosmos. And so I believe the Star Jammers component of this kind of grew out of stuff that was sprinkled around in the, the ends and the aftermath of, uh, of Galactic Storm. Mm. Were you at Marvel at this time? Yes. Yes, what, I was. What were you doing? What was your position? Do you remember? I'm going to guess that that was the same approximate time, 92, 93. I think I was a full editor by then and would have been working uh, mostly on trading cards and editing some some books around the edges, uh, things of that nature. I love it because this is also the, for me, strange era of the Avengers. You have Milky Vision, as I call him. Uh, he's all He's all white. white. He's just oh. this weird white costume. I don't remember the the reasoning for that. I think his body got destroyed. He had, yeah, yeah. John Byrne had him. He was he was captured by the government in a previous story. He had like taken over all of the the Pentagon and whatnot, and they took him apart. And then the Avengers, you know, put him back together again. But for whatever reason, he was head to toe. He was bleached. His his red was gone. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, and that made him vision. look that made him look more <laughs> like a vision. <laughs> <laughs> See, he knows. Got X-Men, a couple of X-Force bits and pieces there, or X-Factor, I should say, at that point. Professor Xavier, Avengers. I think one of my favorite things from the issue is there's a bonus 
two-page Avengers Mansion schematic, mm -hmm. sort of the blueprint by uh, Elliot Brown. Right. Which is... And this was the this was the A mansion. This was the mansion that looks like a giant letter A. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all, all of the buildings in the 1990s uh, <laughs> started to be, for some reason, shaped like letters and numbers. So... Just as a reminder. The FF were, out of, were out of the Baxter building and in Four Freedoms Plaza had big fours on the top. The Avengers had given up their sort of Frick building mansion that was destroyed and replaced by this building that, if you look at it on the side, looks like a giant A... Hmm. Uh, well, everybody's you know. everybody had had monogram buildings in the nineties. There was probably a lot of amnesia and a lot of new <laughs> members of every group, so it's just made it a whole lot easier. If in doubt, go to the A building. Go to the A building. <laughs> uh, next up, we have Incredible Hulk number three fifty by Peter David and Jeff Purvis, which is this is one of my favorites of the list. Mm -hmm. uh, it's Hulk versus Thing fight. Uh, it's just partially because Hulk is always. He's the strongest one there is, and he's always getting up on Thing. But this is the era of mutated Rocky Thing. Right. What was that from? That was from uh, that was Steve Englehart. During Steve Englehart's run on Fantastic Four, uh, he did a couple of things. Reed and Sue left the team. They were written out, and Ben was uh, leading the group, and it was him and the Torch and Crystal and uh, Sharon Ventura, who was Ms. Marvel. And there was a, a series of adventures where Ben and Sharon have to pass through the cosmic ray belt again. And the cosmic rays turn her into a she-thing and mutate him further into this sort of what I think of as the porcupine thing. Mm. Because he looks like a big, all of his rocks are suddenly protrusions. And he look, it looks really, really uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it honestly was not a very good look, but it lasted for, a, for quite a while. As a kid reading it, I liked that look. I, I mm -hmm. was like, oh, he looks even crazier. But, I mean, you go back and there's nothing beats sort of the the more refined right. look. The first look from the first issue, gets it gets a little bit more. And when you think of classic Ben Grimm thing, that's just, you right. can't beat that. Right. But this one is super fun. It also made him much stronger. I like the Hulk because he, when he is the Hulk and he's big, he can't control what he is. But yet it is what he is. And with Ben, it's kind of the opposite. Like, he didn't become a part of himself. He was just mm -hmm. sort of mutated. But now Bigger Thing is now on par with the Hulk, which is not a place where he ever meant to be. So it's... He always wanted that to be. fight... Oh, right. he, he did. Okay. Yeah, he, I mean, he wanted to be able to fight him and take right. him down. Right. It was always like that, that sore point yep. for, for Ben. And it also helps that we've got Gray Hulk. Right, the less here. powerful but more more crafty and... Uh, more diabolical uh, uh, Mr. Fix-It era Grey Hulk. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Purvis, he's underrated Hulk artist, I think. He had a good run, like 20-odd issues or something. Something like that, yeah. Uh, during this Peter David period. He's solid. Like, fun stories, cool stuff. Like, and then I don't know I don't know what happened to him. Like, I don't think he... I, I, he left Hulk, and I don't know that he did anything ever in the, this industry. I'm sure he did something yes. somewhere for someone, but, <laughs> but not in comics. I, I don't think I've heard of him since the end of his uh, Hulk days. Uh, there's a great moment. I believe it's in this issue. I read all these in succession. So some, <laughs> and, and they all, a lot of them do take place in a similar era. Right. I should point out, too, I have, I have gone back and looked at none Nothing. of these. I, Everything that I am <laughs> saying is completely off the cuff and off the top of my head. So. That's why I love you, Tom. You're the, you know <laughs> so much. It's, it's incredible. But there's a, they're, they're fighting, and Hulk tosses thing into uh, Radio City. Mm -hmm. uh, I love that panel. Right? I, I wrote that panel down because it's so 80s New York. 
or yeah. like 80s, 90s <laughs> like, New York. The Rockettes are going. Yeah. Like, we're now <laughs> down the street from that. Uh, I'm going to guess this is this one. The next one that I want to talk about is either your first or your second favorite issue of this bunch. Right. Thor number 350. Thor 350, a pretty uh, a significant issue, right? Right at the end of Walter Simonson's first big Thor story, the Surtur Saga, which went on about three issues beyond that. But 350 was kind of the point where it was really ramping up to the end with Surtur. The cask of ancient winners had been dealt with and the Thor-Loki-Odin you know, a relationship was really coming to the fore. It's a big good issue yeah it has a great title mm-hmm. ragnarok and roll so perfect <laughs> tremendous so perfect walter simonson writing doing art he shows up on this list a couple times but it's thor and beta ray bill leading the charge against surter who's actually taking ragnarok to earth which right. is it's a fun story and i was my recollection of all these is a lot of like reading it in trades over the years right and so i was you expect 350 as that, like... Right, that's anniversary. the end. Yeah, that's the climactic issue, but yep. nope. No. This is, no, there's three more. We got, <laughs> we got too plenty much. more to go, kids. Too uh, much to yeah. fit. I would say, if you have never read this, this is like, you got to read this Thor. This is a tremendous run. That, on, yeah, on, that, that that first, that Surtur saga from 337 to like 353. I got it written here because I need to remember which issue. But he's like, amazing. oh, 337. Right. <laughs> right. That, that's that's the stuff. Yeah. 337, Beta Ray Bill smashing the old Thor logo. So And that doom, doom with the yep. Surtur and this yep. hammer. Oof. I just, I love old New York comic panels okay. there they just are it's a really nostalgic feeling for me and there's that one panel where the the storm is coming to slowly take over right because you know we're from here we're very used to these storms every winter <laughs> and how unpleasant it is but imagine if it was just slightly worse <laughs> there was something coming from you know asgard and yeah, yeah just demons and trolls demons and, and trolls it's they're great. giant and they have hammers <laughs> next up Captain America 350, and I this was probably before. That was before yeah. me. That was, that's one of the few that I read as a as a reader mm. at the culmination of that year long Steve Rogers pre U.S. agent Jack Walker Captain America the Captain replacement Cap story that Mark Greenwald did with Kieran Dwyer. Yeah, it's the Red Skull issue too. Like the, mm-hmm. the, the Skull's a big player in that. And I'm forgetting, is that the issue? I know it was around there. Is that the issue where he gets hit with the dust of death and his yep. face becomes a red skull? That's the ending of the issue. Yeah. It's, yeah. He's like, I got you now. And then, you know, Cap is able to turn it around on him. And then it's like, Phew. he loses that beautiful, beautiful face. <laughs> oh, uh, what a shame. That I know. Yeah. Um, oh, it's, it's so good that the fight between uh, the two Caps, so to speak, is brutal. Especially like... Yeah. I, you know, Kieran is really great storyteller yeah. in terms of the way he paces his art. And I don't know much about Mark's scripts and how much of it was like Mark in the script phase or how they work together. I, I imagine, again, most most scripts at that time were, you know, all the Marvel books in those days were done plot art script. So a lot of the choreography for action sequences, even if Mark or whatever other writer would pace things out more specifically, the artists tended to have a lot more leeway to improvise and to do things their way. So I would imagine that most of the storytelling choices in terms of the choreography of action are probably Kieran's. Hmm. I loved it. Uh, rereading it again. It's, uh, it holds up tremendously. You worked with Mark uh, yes. right? yeah, yeah. for years. What, did, what books did you work on with Mark? Mark was executive editor when I started. So in a sense, I worked on you know a little bit of everything with him. Directly with him, I, I edited the last year of the Marvel Handbook 
Master Edition, which was the three ring binder version that everybody with the turnarounds or oh the, yeah it was yeah, it was with the turnarounds, with the turnarounds yeah which was uh, not the best idea in in uh, in retrospect but uh, you know was already there by the time I got there and a bunch of other things the first amalgam books and again he was around involved in everything sure. so there was a little of everything yeah do you have a favorite issue from the Mark's gigantic run of Captain America wow um. Best Mark Cap issue? That's a very good question, and I'm going to choke on it now completely, <laughs> partly because it's like an 11-year run. I, I know. It's a really <laughs> tough one. It, you know, you think of all the – so many artists that mm -hmm. really imprinted on it. There's great Ron Lim issues. Yeah. Great, you know, Kieran's run uh, is I think pretty the, long. I think the Kieran run is probably the best bit of that, if I stare at it enough. It's probably got to be the replacement issue. Mm. And that's really two issues, like 332, Steve gives up the costume where the government takes it back, and I think it's 333 is the, we're going to have a new replacement cap, which, you know, had kind of been done before, but hadn't really been done in this way, and was a big, shocking, exciting, scary thing yeah. in whatever it was, 1984, 1985, when those books came out. The, the utterly ridiculous move of putting a crying Abe Lincoln in the corner box. <laughs> I think that's beautiful. Straight off the $5 bill. <laughs> he was so sad that Steve wasn't going to be Cap anymore. Oh. oh, I mean, as a history and political junkie, I really loved reading this issue because it just felt like a political thriller. Mm -hmm. There's always that little element of political thriller in Cap comics, which kind of makes the action even more fun because there's all this context to it. So this was a super fun issue for history nerds to read. Right. Yeah. Because it is a giant size special issue, there's a bunch of like two-page spreads at the end. Oh, they're uh, so cool. Yeah, there, right. there's the backup story, which, you know, you've had the reveal in the main story, and then you get like Red Skull's plans and all that. Which right. Was, that was the John Byrne story, right? Yeah, it's John yeah. Byrne. Yeah. I was like, it's beautiful art. You've got Arnim Zola in there, and then Red Skull being such a jerk, which <laughs> is appropriate. But It's kind of his nature. Yeah. But there's also the, a couple of great spreads about uh, featuring Cap's partners, the women in Cap's life, and then there were six Captain Americas that they at that at that point there were only six. Yeah, only six. in those in those early youthful days when there were only six Captain Americas. <laughs> When's the Cap verse gonna happen? <laughs> I mean, we've seen some of that. We've yeah. seen a couple of those stories. Yeah. Next book is uh, a little bit. This is one of the later ones in our piecing together of these three fifties. Uncanny X Men number three hundred and fifty by Steven Siegel and Joe Madureira with Andy Smith, you know, sharing art tours. But this right. was a huge one and still, I, I think, has reverberations for a lot of X-Men fans to this day. The Gambit story, right? This with, is the... with Spot and, oh God, I'm forgetting the other character's name. With the Marauders and the, uh, the uh, Mutant Massacre. Okay, yeah, uh, right, right. Yeah, the, yeah. the, the reveal of, of Gambit's backstory. Yeah, where he, he got quote-unquote, tricked into murdering or helping to murder a bunch of Morlocks. Again, Gambit is the worst. Yeah, from my first day here, which was not too long ago, all I heard was Ryan hates Gambit. Yeah. And I remember very soon after I started, I had to co-host with Tucker, and somebody asked us, who's the worst X-Men? And it's like... I'm not going to just... And they were just like, just say Gambit. Yeah. Ryan, Ryan hates Gambit. <laughs> it's appropriate. We were just like, Ryan told us to say Gambit. I mean, he's a great character. I think we've done tremendous stories with him. But I like when I think of characters, I don't... Like, if I personally 
could tell them I don't right. like them. Be like, I don't like you. I think oh. you're bad for Rogue. But that's just me. <laughs> They're married now. I you, know. You, you got to get past that. I know. Kelly's He's done bad. great work on on that. He's stuff. coming around on Gambit. All right. A little All bit. right. Yeah. But this one's interesting. There's tons of deep stuff in this too. Like Eric the Red mm-hmm. is in here. I was thinking about trying to explain Joseph. And then I was like, well, I don't want to melt people's brains at this point. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, there is this clone of Magneto and he's amnesia. Like, just. And then Maggot. This is only like the fifth appearance of Maggot. Right. He's early in that. And then he's got his. It's just. There's a lot here. But the Joe Mad art is tremendous. Yeah. Uh, especially that gatefold. I mean, this is a little bit after the. Or I guess still in the era of. Wild covers, yeah, definitely still within the era of, of uh, enhanced covers and enhanced books. Yeah, it's one of those books. I think if you are an X Men fan, it's a, a good one to reread and think I had about. Forgotten, uh, you know, if you'd asked me, I, I would, I had forgotten that it was Steve Siegel. I would, I would have said Scott Lobdell, mm. but I think it was right around the time that the book shifted to Joe Kelly and and to Siegel. All right, next book is Daredevil number three hundred and fifty, which strangely is not on Marvel Unlimited. It's the only one of it's the It's a ten. lost 350. Right? There's this period of Daredevil we just don't have digitized right. for the collection. That was, was a huge mm- bummer for me because I love Daredevil. That was Mark DeMattis, right? Yeah. 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 Right in the middle of his year's run on Daredevil, mm-hmm. following up on, I think, D.G. Chichester had been on it before him. And doing this, uh, you know, again, very inward looking, very emotional story. Like Matt had kind of gone a little bit around the bend and was also dressing up in his old yellow costume. And the and armor was right around, like before that. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was wearing the Scott McDaniel black and silvery uh, mm-hmm. uh, 90s costume <laughs> yeah. with the big bow staff. Yep. And this is him getting back to the original red. Right. Uh, which is a classic look. It's, Can't go it's an anniversary issue. That's kind of what you do. Yep. So. You talked about it, the 90s, the look and all that. This was part of the Marvel Edge line. Right. What was Marvel Edge? Marvel Edge was, and this must have been, there was one year, uh, and I believe it was like 95, where corporately Marvel Editorial was broken up into five groups. And each of those groups had their own separate editor-in-chief. Bob Harris was the editor-in-chief of X-Men, and Bob Bidiansky was the editor-in-chief of Spider-Man, and Bobby Chase was the editor-in-chief of what was called Marvel Edge, which basically boiled down to uh, sort of the darker characters, but it was kind of an odd lot sort. She had been editing Hulk, and she was responsible for Ghost Rider, and they folded into that Daredevil and the Punisher and a few other things that kind of made up this Marvel Edge line. And so that's kind of what Marvel Edge was for that year or year and a half, two years. After a year, the five families were reunited and Bob Harris became the one editor-in-chief. And again, I think the Edge branding might have lasted a little bit longer just because it was there before it was phased out. But it was, again, it was sort of an arbitrary thing, like to take the things that she had and to group other stuff in a way that made sense around them. There was, you know, Nick Fury stories and there were trying to think what else was around in that at that point that was well, Doctor Strange. Our next book okay. is Doctor Strange. All right, well there we go. And this one I'm pulling into this 10 issues of hitting 350 mm-hmm. via legacy numbering. We put out these these promos last year talking about the legacy numbering right. and you know 
all the different series. So I did some backtracking, a little bit of math, found that Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme, number 86, which would be the like 80s, 90s Doctor Strange series, is the 350th issue of Doctor Strange. Okay. Uh, and this is also a Marvel Edge book at the time. Also, right. same writer. Right, Mark, Mark Mattis Ma- and, and Bucky, right? Mark Buckingham. Mark Buckingham. So... Like, he has not done a ton of Marvel work, has he? Well, he's done more than you probably think. Yeah. They're just gaps in between mm. them. Uh, you know, he really started working on Ghost Rider 2099. Initially, he was inking Chris Pacello for the first issue or two. Uh, and then he inherited the book and did, like, the first year. And from there, I believe he went on to Doctor Strange. And He's been on a bunch of different things. He's great. He's an incredible yeah. artist. So because it's not a traditional 350 anniversary issue... It's not a big spectacular. It's just a cool story. It's creepy. It's weird. It's Doctor Strange saving uh, a mom and her daughter from some, like, monsters and demons. And turns out, of course, it's Mordo. Right. Doing his Mordoist, being a jerk. Uh, It was a real twisted up gnarly version, which I think goes to Mark Buckingham being a cool, like, the way he thinks about creatures and and stuff like that is really great. Yeah, just another Tuesday for Doctor Strange, really. (laughs) One more before we get to our our last issue uh, is another legacy issue, this one being Iron Man number five from the 1998 Heroes Return series. Uh, This one, Kurt Busiek and Sean Chen. Right. So it's not a a, a giant size issue, but it's right after the wildness of Heroes Reborn and now in Heroes Return. What, for our listeners who may not know, what was Heroes Reborn into Heroes Return? Heroes Reborn was in the in the 90s as the comic book market kind of collapsed in on itself as a way to bring back some attention and some energy to the core Marvel heroes that were kind of suffering sales-wise. A deal was made where a number of the characters were essentially licensed out to Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld to produce out of their studios, Wildstorm and Extreme Studios. And so Iron Man during that period was produced by Wildstorm, uh, under Jim. Jim wasn't doing the book. He was doing Fantastic Four, but Will Spartacio did it, and Jeff Loeb was involved, and Scott Abdell was involved. They basically took those characters through the artifice of Onslaught and put them into a sort of pocket universe where they could all sort of start afresh. So it was a new beginning for those characters. At the end of the year, that deal ended, and that bubble was popped, and those characters came back into the Marvel Universe, and that became Heroes Return, where these characters that had been gone for a big string of time, uh, as far as the people of the Marvel Universe were concerned, were now back. And it was kind of a return to that classic heroism. Yeah. And it's 1998 at this point. I thought of you when I saw oh. the uh, moment at the end, Jamie. Pepper Potts is a really cute puppy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was great. Final one from our 10 is Fantastic Four number 350. This is a giant size spectacular. It is. It's a Walter Simonson joint. It is. Sharon Ventura, who we were talking about earlier, yep. a.k.a. Ms. Marvel. She was bummed out about being, you know, a thing. And Ben Grimm had been wearing the thing suit for a while. Yep. There's all kind. What's the continuity at this point? Because I was trying to piece it all together from memory. There was a point at which Ben was the the porcupine thing, the pineapple thing, and he gets cured at a certain point and begins using the exoskeleton, which he had used previously back in the 70s. Which is, you know, it's basically a thing bodysuit that you put on, and uh, you know, you get to be sort of strong like the thing, maybe not quite as strong as the actual full-on cosmic ray thing but it would it would do in a pinch and so he was kind of running around as the fifth 
member of the Fantastic Four at that point. Reed and Sue were back. The team was together. Uh, Walter did a, a little over a year, I think it was, on the book, picking up some of the threads he had started in Avengers. Yeah. And then uh, was 350, where uh, Ben has returned to being the actual thing. It's got a cool Doctor Doom appearance. Little known fact the cover copy on that that issue the that word balloon that's either wonderful or horrifying depending on your point of view of ben Grimm saying ain't ain't nothing like the real thing uh (laughs) written by substitute assistant editor dan slot oh so that that balloon possibly represents his first fantastic four writing well then look at that and, uh, and he is terribly embarrassed awesome. about it because he thinks it's a dopey pun, but that Pepsi campaign was current in those days, so it actually kind of made sense. It would have been real relevant. Uh, yeah, in this issue, the, they switch. You know, the things you know get a little switcheroo. Yep. It's, you know, there's emotions and wonderfulness. Uh, this is great. Giant-sized. Oh, yeah. What year was this again? This Just... would have been, what, 93? 91. Okay, so I always felt like until Clinton took office, the early 90s were still the 80s. Right. Much like the 60s didn't really start until after Kennedy was assassinated. The 80s took a good long time to really go away. And I loved reading these because of their Mm 80s-ness and their 90s-ness. And Mary Jane's hair in (laughs) Spider-Man, her soap opera career. The Fraggle Rock reference in Avengers. Right. There's a reference to peer pressure, which was so like <laughs> the just say no thing back then. Yeah. It was such a delight to read these because that's when I was a kid and seeing it playing out in comics is I just like people putting their lives into comics and their time. And I feel like if it's a, it's a good snapshot of what we all kind of look like or hope to look like. <laughs> Because big hair was very big. Yeah. Wish I had that big hair. Uh, Tom, it's always a pleasure to have you on this week in Happy, ha- Happy to be here as always. Thank you for the water. No, you're it welcome. Was, it was delicious. <laughs> Next week is Comic-Con. Uh, mm-hmm. Our episode will probably... Not even probably. It will definitely be late into your your feed. Yeah, Uh, so apologies ahead of time. Yes, but that is because we are recording our episode for next week live at Comic-Con on Friday. It's a live panel. It's me, Jamie, and I with C.B. Cebulski, Marvel Comics Editor-in-Chief, and writers Donnie Cates and Tom Taylor. I'm so excited. Uh, If you guys have any questions for them... Uh, use hashtag this week in Marvel. Tune to us. Use the email twinpodcast at marvel.com. I will try to have Jamie and I read those on the panel. And that's Friday, 3 to 4 p.m. in room 25 ABC if you are coming to Comic Con. But I will also be hosting the Marvel True Believers panel, which is on Sunday. I believe it's at the hotel across the way. It's fun. We get to show members who have Marvel Limited Plus as well as those who hold the Marvel MasterCard. We mm. get to show them. Stuff that no one else gets to see. It's always a neat time. I'll be doing that on Sunday morning. And yeah, there's just so much stuff going on at Comic-Con. I truly am excited about it. Representing Marvel is going to be a huge honor and privilege for me because I've been a huge fan. And now I get to help out. It's going to be... Not just help out. You are part of the shows. Yeah. I know. (laughs) You guys are going to get so sick of us. (laughs) Nah, they'll be fine. Uh, There's so much more to talk about for Comic-Con. So we've got an exclusive reveal in this episode, Jamie, that I 
friends over at Tamashi Nations at Bandai have given us the reveal of a brand new manga realization custom comic that is written by Jim Zub, art by Takeshi Miyazawa, colors by Ian Herring, letters by Joe Sabino. It's called The Great Dishonor. And it features all the uh, samurai heroes, the versions of Marvel characters, Spider-Man, Captain America, Iron Man, War Machine, and Deadpool from the manga realization line. Wow. That they do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredibly cool. wicked. It's actually the cover is a riff on Avengers number four, the return of Captain America from the classic run, but done in the samurai hero style that we see for the manga realization line. And you're like, okay, great. How do I get this? Well, they are giving away a limited number of copies at Comic-Con. You'll have to find Bandai Tamashi Nation's booth. You're going to have to pick up the brand new Kabuki Mono Deadpool figure, which I'm looking at it, yeah, and it's bonkers. Dude. Even before it was open, the packaging is just cool. It just, it just, you can tell it's special. He comes with four different like eye shapes, so his that's very important him, for Deadpool. <laughs> yeah, you give him different facial expressions, tons of weapons, tons of articulation. He's really cool figure. There'll be uh, a picture that's on my social pages. We'll make sure you guys can see more of this. It's really, really neat. I feel like Deadpool's very appropriate for the samurai lifestyle yeah one other piece of news we got is that the uh, avengers halloween special is coming this october <gasps> are they yeah. gonna wear costumes <laughs> i don't know <laughs> it's more a horror book than Ooh. like dressing up as far as i can tell and it's got a bunch of stories you've got stories by jerry duggan robbie thompson juanan ramirez uh, of course the soska sisters who been a couple years since they did a, a story for us and we actually had them on this week in marvel they are terrific awesome they love wrestling they love comics they make really cool horror stuff they're the best. Has there ever been a Halloween issue where they wore each other's costumes? Probably. I mean, is, is this something that I only imagine superheroes doing? Maybe. That pretty much covers our San Diego stuff. I know there was a, a couple of pieces of comics news that hit this week. Uh, I saw that there's a Shatterstar series yes. coming the, on the way in October. That's written by Tim Seeley, art by Carlos Vila. And there was this really great quote that I read on Marvel.com from Tim. It says, this series will be part John Wick, a dash of Will Eisner's A Contract with God, and infused with lots and lots of interdimensional X-Men superhero mythos. That is the book I want to read. It is really exciting for me. That is like a very yummy buffet of stuff. Mm-hmm. All in one book. Yes. Uh, we've got a bunch of tweets that came in from Mr. Simon Williams. He was just talking a ton about Marvel Studios, Ant-Man and the Wasp. I'm glad you got to see the movie opening weekend. Uh, I know you said, Simon, that it was a fun movie and certainly something needed to lighten the mood after hashtag Infinity War. Word mm, to yes. that. Yes. Yeah. A couple of things on the comic side that Simon gets to, he says, reading... Mortal Hulk number two. That ending was intense, he says. The Hulk may not be evil, but he is brutal to everyone who's crossed his path so far. I think that's sort of like the thing. Yeah. And, you know, Hulk being a little bit, I don't want to say maniacal. It's not evil. It's just that like. Unleashed. Yeah. He's unleashed. He's out of control when he's the Hulk. And oh, but that's such a beautiful thing because he doesn't want to be. And he still knows He's conscious of what he's doing, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's very smart. He's got a lot of opinions, and he's judging the, the people who have done others wrong, which yeah. is 
I think a lot about the uh, line from Marvel Studios Avengers, the first movie, and when um, Bruce Banner's talking about feeling like he's like a raw nerve ending. And that's, mm. I think about that whenever I see or read the Hulk, and it just kind of makes your own nerve endings go, Ugh. man, poor Hulk. What a psychological masterpiece, yeah. I want to say. Lance Presley, jumping on that Immortal Hulk train, he says, loving Immortal Hulk so far. It's basically original 1960s Hulk wandering through 1950s tales of suspense stories. I love that description, Lance. So do I, because one of the things that I remember when I was first being introduced to comics as a kid, my mom used to read horror comics. She got me into like X-Files, Twilight Zone, and a lot of creepy stuff. And that's why the Immortal Hulk now is very much my current jam. The horror stuff is so effective. Mm -hmm. Agreed. 100%. I love this one from Paul Dewey. He says, I'm listening to old episodes of This Week in Marvel, and I have to ask, what is the criteria for a good what-if comic that I mentioned a long time ago? So... For me, a good what-if comic is a story set in something iconic, Mm -hmm. often. So a big event, a big turning point moment in a character's life, career, history. So think of what if Peter Parker had stopped the burglar? What if Phoenix had not died? So that's sort of the premise. And so you take that often as a good starting point. And then for me, it's just death and sadness. Yeah. Good the good stuff. Yeah. Most of the my favorite <laughs> what if stories are horrifying. There's one of my favorites is what if uh Craven the Hunter actually killed Spider-Man? Ooh, and so, yeah. you know, in, in Craven's Last Hunt, he doesn't kill him, he buries him alive. But what if he did? And in the book, you know, Mary Jane is like distraught and Craven goes like even more bonkers, and it's just like twenty-two pages of sadness. It's the best. Sounds like it, you know, your typical wonderful day for me. Yeah. I love death. Yeah. Very death positive. It kind of makes me think about um, Spider Gwen as being a sort of what if series. If, if Gwen Stacy didn't die in that universe, she didn't die. Peter Parker did. So it's kind of along lines of that. Yeah. I mean, that's a, a different death. That That's what is great about a, a alternate universes and those things. Just one thing changes. And then how does it spin out from there? Jamie, I'm so glad you got to talk to Tom Brevoort and we had him on the show for this episode. Oh, it was so cool. I am a history junkie, so any comics history, pop culture history, I'm such a fan of. And Tom's knowledge just goes so deep. Yeah, I think we're going to do much more with Tom about those kinds of stories and, and like digging deep into things. One of the things I always love about anniversary issues is like, oh, there's a returning character or there's this big surprise. And... Don't worry, guys. I would have told you up front, but unfortunately, we do not have any big surprises for this episode. Mm. We're just going to keep rolling on and uh, wrap it up here on... Or don't we? What? Who is that? Hello, everyone. Coming to you straight from the entertainment capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada. It's none other than me, Professor Benjamin Morse, coming back. In fact, I have like a whole morning crew here with me. I have my one-year-old daughter, Hazel who is staring at me, wondering what the heck I'm doing on the phone right now. Uh, I've got Ryan, your favorite, the puppy gypsy, 
Oh, uh, Gypsy. Gypsy's running around. So, yeah, basically, uh, th- this is great. I'm calling in uh, This Week in Marvel, episode number 350. Who would have who thought we did it, guys? We made yeah. it. Made it. So what's life like out there? What have you, you're, you're now a professor? Yeah, I am a uh, professor at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, UNLV. I teach uh, social media strategies. In addition to that, I'm part of a media group, basically taking the TV station, the radio station, and then I run the digital side of UNLV. And we get local Las Vegas clients, and we basically have students put together, whether it's a TV campaign, a radio campaign, or a social media campaign, and they get to run them for local businesses. And it gives the students some experience before they get out of school of working for doing practical stuff. Right on. Aside from, oh my God, she's so cute. I uh, love her. Aside from Hazel being adorable, uh, what mm-hmm. comics are you reading right now? So I am all in on Jason Aaron right now. Both Thor and Avengers are at the top of my list. I think this Avengers that Jason's doing with Ed McGinnis with Paco Medina is some of the best Avengers I've read in a long time. I caught the last issue of Amazing Spider-Man, which was a heartbreaker. I'm really looking forward to seeing what Dan Slott does on Fantastic Four. I'm so excited Fantastic Four is coming back. I've, I've recently gotten a, like a new appreciation of Fantastic Four. I've been I've been looking back on a lot of old Marvel stuff. I've been reading a lot of old, actually, 60s stuff, believe it or not. It's been interesting. I feel like I am rediscovering my comics fandom in a lot of ways. Being out here and just like, you know, reading for fun. I mean, I always loved when we got to read and discuss on the show, but just getting to read for fun has really like reopened things for me. I almost feel like I'm starting over again, which is really cool. It's oh, wonderful. Then you get to start all over again, again, when you introduce it to Hazel. Oh yeah, no, we, uh, our old friend from Wizard, uh, Jody Westoff, she got us a Doctor Strange book and no joke, no lie. It was the first time Hazel just sat still the entire time. Like the oh. art and the, the words were just like totally enraptured her. She loved it. She was all in on just reading that Doctor Strange. So I was like, I was like, okay, she's going to be a comics fan. Perfect. She's got good taste. Ben, thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Oh, no, it was a blast. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Yeah, it's so nice to meet you. Yeah, have fun, guys. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right, this was an epic 350th episode. Thank you to Benjamin J. Morse for popping in. That little rascal. My goodness. (laughs) Thank you to Tom Brevoort for coming in and getting real geeky and talking with us about all kinds of stuff. Thank you guys for listening for 350 episodes. Here's to 350 more. Let's do it. Yeah. All right, guys. That's it for this week. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jamie. This is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.